Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Melbourne Bitter, 1 August 1987. Six people are dead and ten others are injured after a gunman opened fire at random on motorists in Hoddle Street, Clifton Hill, last night. Too long, sick of waiting, little room, being a good boy, bed made, linen pressed, frequent showers, clean boy, in the mirror, the gleaming steel, the black clothes, trigger, mirror, Good boy, Rambo poster facing me, turning, he can see, a good boy, the mirror is watching me, hope he approves, everything needs polishing, needs to be spotless, can see in, hope he knows me, aiming and polishing and checking the calendar, a good boy, aiming, polishing, checking the calendar, two, December 1987 Nine die in city rampage Young killer leaps from 11th floor to his death Nice snug fit under my coat Right side, discreet They don't even glance in the lobby 11th floor I see your face in other faces Beneath desks, behind doors It's all right, it must be like like in the dream. It's all right. I finish. I am through the glass. Like the dream. I don't drop. Don't fall. I am held in air. The beautiful street rushing up to meet me. 3. April 1991. Detectives believe the skeleton of a teenager found buried in a shallow grave in Thomastown is that of the missing schoolgirl, Carmen Chan. Cold envelope, the fold around her, small-boned, broken cranium, shred of nightdress. Machinery above her, its steel teeth eating through dirt and gravel. She has not slept. She has been awake beneath this black crush, this city, that has taken in the breath it can never again let out. You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Program, and I am Santo Katsati. And to open our program today, we heard the very distinct poetry and voice of Ian McBride, who is my guest on the program today. Welcome to 3CR, Ian. Good morning. Now, uh, for over four decades, McBride's poetry has been widely published and anthologised in Australia and overseas, but uh, I'm particularly happy to have him here today because uh, he just recently released a major book through Bare Knuckle Books in Brisbane, and the book is called We the Mapless. It's got a, a stunningly minimal cover, which unfortunately I cannot show you on radio, so buy the book, make sure you buy the book. And the cover uh, goes so well with this enigmatic title, We the Mapless. So um, it's um, new and selected poems 
by Ian McBride. And what I really like about this uh, quite generously sized book of poetry is that it contains a selection from his six previous books as well as new poems. So it's a retrospective and new shit all in one. Um, Now, I can't resist quoting some of the reviews. The Age, the Melbourne Age, said it had a minimalism worthy of Hitchcock, quote-unquote. Pretty good, eh? Uh, Cordite said it contains some of the most startling, daring and interesting poems published in Australia for some time. And uh, Ireland described the poetry style as not so much gothic or surreal as a purposeful realism. So I'm just honoured to have this fabulous and highly individual poet with me uh, here in the studio to read excerpts from this new book. So without wasting any more time, I'll ask you, Ian, to read a little selection of poems uh, that originally appeared in your 1998 book, Flank. Albanoni's Dream. Then, as now, it was Fragments. The echoes of Venice and no footstep next to you. The last alphabet. A lesson. A for the mislaid silk, the bright leaves. D for the torn dress, the bound foot. A for the bitten lip, the shredded nets. G for the dry vine, the useless fruit. I for the kissed anchor, the defeat of bees. O for the momentary rose and the path that vanished. Hesperus 2000 Another captain is going down. It begins as a dampness through his boots, cold ankles, shins, the pants of his uniform clinging to him. Then the groin, the stomach, the chest with its trophies dragging, its ribbons twisting in the current, his throat, his open mouth, his filled nostrils, the braided cap sinking down onto the deck. Beyond salutes, his last view is of collapsing funnels and impossible angles and the remnants of someone's scarf still tied to a railing. Credo. One. Faith. There is no river. There is no surface to sink beneath. No shore. There is only the cracked plain and an oasis undreamt of, lush and verdant and silvery with rivers. Two. Strength. What binds iron? What holds boats together? Beautiful uniforms stiffening in attics. This is the most primitive of wishes. The clock, the telescope on the empty porch. Three. Stamina. We are not what is, but what isn't, quite. We are what shrugs are made of. The snapped quill the ripped-up manuscript, the sentence that just stops in the middle of The Voice and Poetry of Ian McBride on 3CR Spoken Word. Now, that last poem finished in the middle of a sentence, uh, and it's, uh, as Ian introduced it, it's entitled Credo, and that rather leads me to ask my 
studio guest Ian McBride, what is his poetic credo? So quite apart from unfinished statements, Ian, what uh, uh, would you be able to or even wish to outline a poetics or an aesthetics or a raison d'etre of your art? Brevity. Oh, we're not allowed to have uh, dead air on radio, so there you go. Uh, we just had a couple of seconds. It, it, it's to say as much as possible in as few words as possible. And I'd have to say that you are the absolute uh, master of that. Uh, is, is that all you wish to say on the matter, Ian? I, I suppose so. I, I'm not a master. A lot of people, a, a lot of people are good with minimalism. Mm. You know? This is true. This is true. Uh, okay, well, that... That is indeed an aesthetics, uh, an Aristotelian, Stravinskian aesthetics. So, um, it's funny, I had down for this section of the program discussion. That was a great discussion. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Now, um, one of the first poems of yours, Ian, that I, I ever heard was Ambulance. Now, it wasn't actually read by you when I heard it that first time. It was read by Jeff Lemon on an open mic. And I remember that night Jeff saying to everyone that it was one of the most striking poems he had ever read. Uh, I certainly had to agree. Um, And I then wondered who was this poet that wrote such a claustrophobic, airtight interior monologue. So anyway, I'd like you, Ian, to start your next little bracket with that poem. and, um, And then there's a couple of others after that. And all of the poems in the bracket come from the 2001 book Equatorial. Ambulance. One day it will come screaming for you and me, a stridency resounding down rain-soaked streets, seasonless, hourless, masked, supine, strapped down and in shock beneath a white roof. We will be only distantly aware of the jiggling equipment the rush of intersections, the slow parting walls of traffic and our siren rising, everything letting go, black birds, hundreds of them, gathered on the crossbars of pylons leading up to the freeway, one of us always passing under these bridges, heat, the deep drum of thunder, All of this is connected. Sniper on leave. Even relaxed, off duty, in some soft and tropical place, everything is still measured by trajectory. The quickening descent from the hotel window to the street below. How he would retreat from this or that balcony. Each station on the map memorized by habit. How many new cars in the parking lot. Where the shells would fall and how many seconds it would take to retrieve them. Timing. His wife on the phone to the kids as he, despite himself, plots angles, silencers, reflections, the distance to the stairs. Arsonist, on the evening news, he hears all he needs to. High of 39, strong winds, total fire ban. Tonight he will go through no particular ritual. TV, a few beers, some pornos, 
nothing special. He knows that tomorrow he will wake up early, sweating and erect, clothes prepared, hall table laden with binoculars, camera, accelerant. He knows he will dream himself already hidden in pre-chosen thickets, smelling of petrol, the first smoke rising, his fresh seed wet on the leaves. Community Radio 3CR, and you're listening to the spoken word program being presented today by Santo Cazzati, the saint of Melbourne poetry, and I'm with my studio guest Ian McBride. Now, just before the music there, the last poem we heard, Arsonist, is in fact uh, one of the first poems of yours, Ian, that I actually heard coming from your mouth. I realised immediately that there was no other voice like yours, uh, not just because of the Canadian accent, because we've got other Canadian poets here, but they sound nothing like you. So to try to describe the voice um, in words, it's very contained, often whispered, uh, and uh, what I think makes it distinctive, it has nuances of intonation that bring out the uh, frequently harsh, bleak and dark content of each of the poems. Um, and once again, I say it's a pity that radio is not a visual medium because, uh, you know, people listening, you should see Ian's face when he reads this stuff. He contorts his lips and mouths and cheeks in ways that, uh, again, really express the meaning of the poem. So I- I'm of the opinion that this unique live reading style is, or, or at least can be considered, a very strong element of the poetry. But uh, what do you actually think, Ian? Um Poetry has to sustain itself on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you can give it to the public in a way that doesn't insult them, mm-hmm. I think that's good. T.S. Eliot is one of my all-time favorite, favorite poets. He's astounding. But I've heard him read The Wasteland, and it, it really, it was kind of tragic. Like He just sounded... He sounded like he couldn't wait to get off stage, and it was very high, and he didn't have much nuance to him. I shouldn't be hanging it on T.S. Eliot. He's brilliant, but, um, you know, sometimes a good voice can can help get it across a bit more. That's really fascinating because, yeah, I I remember hearing a recording of T.S. Eliot introducing himself reading a poem and saying, you know, I, I do have great difficulty revving myself up. I'm, I'm a bit like a car. And you're just thinking of the cars of those days. Yeah. And um, 
and and not only not only Eliot, but quite a, a, a lot of very very great poets. I think don't have very very good voices at all, and yet their poetry is brilliant. You know, and and I absolutely wouldn't hang it on them. But it's I don't know, Ian. It, you almost contradicted yourself there because on the one hand you said yeah the, the poetry must sustain itself purely on the page, and yet you've well, you haven't really contradicted yourself, but you've also said that there is some role there for the way in which it's vocally presented. There, there is. Uh, um, if you look at spoken word poetry, um, I won't. Well, I will name names. People like um, Emily Zoe Baker, who's published. Um, Sean Whelan, who's published. Alicia Sometimes. Now, all three of those, I think, are, would be seen perhaps as um, performance poets, and yet they all work on the page. And I've read other performance poets who are tremendous on stage, captivating. And on on paper, when you read it without the theatrics, it can be very plain stuff. Hmm. Well, um, probably the most uh, effective of your tragic poems are, are the ones that deal with Nazi Germany. And uh, maybe the reason for that is because the actual events described are of such uh, magnitude historically. Whenever I hear uh, you read them at gigs, there's always a hush among listeners. Uh, occasionally one or two people clap awkwardly and then you always put those people right by telling them there's no need to applaud such highly unpleasant poems. Uh, Anyway, um, this is sealed off radio, so uh, in in a studio no one's going to applaud, least of all me. So I'd like to hear some of these poems, and they come from the 2004 collection Domain. Clothing Piles, Dachau. It seems the clothing piles reach up to brush the clouds. All those coats, those lovingly put-away coats, taken off on cold Polish nights and placed in closets. Rumpled dresses with the leaves of Warsaw Parks still on their hems. A million pinafores, an avalanche of hats. All trouser pockets turned inside out. Shawls, knee socks, pullovers, undershirts, cliffs of clothing in the rain. Beyond that, the mound of empty suitcases, all carefully labeled. Heydrich dining. Beak-faced, flat eyes glittering above the compressed, thin lips. Pretty girls have to stand on tiptoe to kiss. Mildly annoyed about flecks of their mascara on your jacket sleeve as the killing squads cross Lithuania. Daily village totals coming in as you sit at banquet in your stolen castle. Butramonis, 740. Alitus, 1,279. As you sniff with distaste and hand an inferior Riesling, Back to the waiter. Merkine, 854, as you compliment the chef. Varena, 831, while under the table your booted foot strokes the toes of someone else's wife. Later, upstairs, in the music room over brandy and cigars, Haydn's bite and the careful structures of Mozart are enough for now to silence the shot bolts, the tramp of jackboots on foreign stone, the rattle of cattle trucks lumbering 
towards Poland. Himmler retires early. In private, erect, you still barely feel your small girlish hand. And so the black clothes, black boots, black leather, a death's head on your black cap, the air you travel through beating with fear, a lullaby of screams to soothe you, your pillow the grief of Europe, your consolation a chorus of children's voices crying, hurry, mummy, burning, hurry. Legacy In the narrowing years of dreams, creeping helplessly beneath speech, there can never be any forgetting of those who shuffled up to the sealed door, hands covering themselves, doomed modesties spinning on an SS loom. Those few who survived will never again close an oven, light a flame, slam a door, or even get undressed without remembering. The voice of Ian McBride on 3CR Spoken Word. Now, um, Ian has got a reputation for the ultra-dark, the ultra-tragic, the ultra-pessimistic in poetry, and yet I think this is not really the whole picture. So I always remember the poem about the deaf boy that uh, you did for me, Ian, at my old gig at the House of Bricks. Uh, It really is a very warm and positive poem, so could we have that? The Deaf Boy's Bell He is holding the small bell in front of his eyes, shaking it, watching what he knows is sound. He is smiling. Unlike him, I can hear its tinkling across the lawn. Will it join within his head the secret of music, of laughter, the the anthems of weather? The bell itself rings not in his ears, but far deeper in than that. It peals and peals through the eaves of his full imagination, pure and clear and mysteriously, eternally heard. The Deaf Boy's Bell by Ian McBride. And that one comes from the new poems section at the back of his new book, We the Mapless, available in all good bookshops, as they say. Uh, Don't miss it. Now, uh, another quirky little innovation in this book is the section of what Ian McBride calls slivers. This is 19 pages of one-liners, yes, actual one-line poems. There are four of them on each page, so you can imagine the environmentalists going absolutely crazy over the waste of paper, what with all the, the white space. But it is so artistically striking, I think that we can be forgiven, and anyway, it's piffling compared to the massive damage to the environment done by the big corporations. So, being the poetry jockey that I am, I am the only known PJ in the cosmos, apparently, I have chosen and ordered a few of the slivers, which I would like you to read, Ian. We were wrong. There is no White House. Which violent child is being reborn in the West? White noise carries too many messages. Indoors, a toyless boy is dreading sundown. The best voice in the choir can belong to a monster. There must be one kiss you cannot remember. 
an elderly woman dances by herself in the hall. Absinthe makes the heart grow fonder. Are we secretly here only to bury each other? My English is coming back. This is Spoken Word on 3CR. Well, we're coming to the end of this program, and our guest has been Ian McBride, whose new book, We the Mapless, was launched recently, and I've greatly enjoyed getting uh, Ian to read excerpts from this book. Uh, Thank you for that. But uh, to finish off, I do have to ask one last question. I'm intrigued in this book how there are seven different what you call reports from the palace and there's one in each section of the book and even one of the one-liners says there are no reports from the palace so could you explain this phenomenon um or you can i guess make it as enigmatic as mysterious as you like well it it really it's quite simple i wrote a poem called reports from the palace in my first book and then it seemed to make um, slightly weird sense to have the poem with the same title but a totally different poem each time. So each book would have a poem called Reports from the Palace, but they'd be totally different. And I thought if I lived long enough and actually got a few books published, I could one day have a book called Reports from the Palace, which I could illustrate. That'd be fun (laughs) when I'm old. How terribly self-referential. Now, I don't know, you must feel a little bit like, you know, the person who first wrote a sonata, little knowing that hundreds and thousands of other sonatas would be written by that person and others after that person. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not that innovative, but I'm still trying to have fun. But you just never know what's going to happen when we're all dead and gone. That's right. There could be, there could be a whole lot of really pale imitations of your report from the <laughs> palace. <laughs> And to finish off, then, I'll get Ian McBride to read the final poem in the book, which is, yes, you guessed it, A Report from the Palace. Uh, And the poem itself actually begins with the title of the book. Reports from the Palace We, the mapless, are all here, knowing that this pale house is ours. The question is no longer why, but whom. This hushed place contains no furniture, only closed windows facing roads headed elsewhere and dry hills that exhaled too long ago. No traffic waits beneath the lights that turn from red to yellow and back to red again. The question is no longer where, but when. Just a few community announcements. There are many live poetry gigs that happen in Melbourne. A lot of them have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work with others, or you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com. It's all one word in lowercase, melbournespokenword.com, and you can find out more about the scene. 3CR Spoken Word is on every Thursday morning, 9 to 9.30, 8.55 on the AM dial, and web-streamed on www.3cr.org.au. And we also do podcasts. Look out for them. Until next time, this is Santo Cazzati signing off and shutting down.
time stands still when everything you feel is a thrill. And every feeling is a tingle and a tangle you just want to shake but can't. Cause a straitjacket somewhere on the inside. I let the smoke ride along the razors that were rubbing up against raw nerves. Her curves held, fell, rolled, rumbled out of control.